good to see you. If you turn your Bibles to Matthew 21, I'd appreciate that. We're in Matthew chapter 21 today. <clears throat> Before uh, we get started, um, I wanted to make you aware of a need in our community and uh, a need kind of connected to our church. Um, our preschool uh, over here uh, ministers to so many children and so many families and has done so throughout many decades uh, of service. And uh, we have two little preschoolers who are going to our church and a family that uh, is dearly loved by our preschool teachers that, uh, that doesn't go to church, uh, but, uh, but is kind of on that edge. Um, but we had a chance to love them uh, this, this Friday. Uh, their house burned down. And so I, I just want to let you know, you know, they're, they're, they're going through that process, that process of loss and that grieving and, and certainly insurance things and all of, these, all of these things they thought were in place that aren't. Um, and, and you and I have the opportunity, and I want to give you the opportunity to give to them. Um, Alistair's going to be at the kiosk after service. And, you know, they're, they're going to have their needs met, and the immediate needs are, are kind of there. But there's things that are coming up, especially that uh, they lost everything in their house, right? And certainly they still have their jobs and, and things going on, but uh, it takes a lot of money to re replace those items. So if you feel led to give in that way, you can certainly give to the church. You can uh, write a check to FBC and just put in the memo, uh, the Leth Lethbridge family. Um, and, or just ask Alistair, he'll, he'll let you know there at the kiosk. If you feel led to give, we'd, uh, we'd love for you to do that. And then we'll make sure they get those funds and they can buy the clothes they need to replace, uh, the immediate items they need to just replace to, to have, have kind of some normalcy again and start to rebuild uh, through that process. That's a wonderful way that we can, we can love them, okay? I would like to take a minute to, to pray for them uh, and then pray for, for our morning together. Would you join me? Let's pray. Father, we, <clears throat> we come before you because you... You are on your throne. You are God, and we are not. And we, we want to trust you full, with full faith. We want to trust in who you are and, and, God, what you're doing and how you're providing for us. God, as we have learned about the Lethbridge family, God, I, I pray that you would just make your presence so, so known to both Rudy and Katrina and those three boys. God, that you would, you would comfort them. God, you would guide them in this time, that you would draw them closer and closer to you. God, use us as, as a, their church family that they didn't know they even had to come alongside of them, to, to help them to rebuild in this immediacy of need. God, to show, show love, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, because God, we know that love, love does, and love loves anybody, everybody. God, we, we thank you for that. God, we pray as we go to your word today that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to it, that you would challenge us and change us, that God, you would, <clears throat> you would be conforming us more into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. God, that we would lay aside our pride and our ego. God, that we would lay, lay aside our predisposed notions of truth. God, things that you would want us to reject in order to embrace you fully. We trust you with that. We praise you today for you are a good God. We thank you for your grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so we are in Matthew 21. Um, today we're going to be looking at, at second chances. And, and second chances, those are always an opportunity uh, present in our lives for us to change our mind about something. And I love that because, uh, you know, I do that as a parent for my daughter now. I, I know what's in her heart. I know what's kind of looming there. As I, as I start to give instruction to my, my children, as my wife starts to give instruction to our children, we know typically what their response is going to be, don't we? We know that, that the heart is a little rebellious, isn't it? <clears throat> so before bedtime comes around, we don't just say, okay, let's go get up, put your toys away, let's go brush teeth. We say, hey, in about 15 minutes, it's time to go brush teeth. Oh, okay, Daddy. Now, I, sometimes in 15 minutes <clears throat> when I say, let's go brush our teeth, there's still rebellion. But at least I'm giving her that time, that 15 minutes, that circumstances in life may change, her, her, her mind might be able to settle a little bit into what is about to take place. And most often, that works, that happens, that she, 
She changes her mind, her rebellious heart that would have balked at me saying, let's go right now to, to brush teeth and go to bed. She has that moment in that time to change her mind and say, okay, yeah, I, I can be submissive to that now. I'm, I'm ready to go. We have a routine and I'm ready. Right? We want to have a time to change our mind. So sometimes, you know, uh, we have time that helps change our mind. And then sometimes there are circumstances in life that help change our mind. Uh, as I grew up, my, uh, my dad had, had bought, I don't know how old I was, probably 10. He bought a, a motorcycle, a little, uh, I think it was a Kawasaki 90, a little motorcycle that we took camping out with us and stuff. And I learned to ride a motorcycle and shift gears, and I, I was having a great time. I loved it, right? I loved riding. And we went in this little camping area where there was this paved road that came, went down and had a little loop and came back up and went down. And I rode there for hours and hours and hours. I loved motorcycles. And as I, as I grew up, I, I rode that motorcycle a lot. And then uh, when I graduated high school and I moved, uh, I didn't have a motorcycle anymore to ride. And I, I wanted one. I longed for one. I, I really liked that idea. I liked the idea of a cruiser out on the road, just kind of, even the back roads, just kind of free and the wind blowing in your hair and, and having fun, or the bugs getting stuck in your teeth. It's good stuff. And as I got married, I, I, sh I shared that desire with my wife. I, I'd like to have a motorcycle. It'd be fun for us to go, go and ride. And she's like, yeah, that might be fun. That might be a good time, right? We never got, got around to pulling the trigger, but it was funny. The other day, I, I brought it back up again. I'm like, yeah, we, we should really move on this motorcycle thing. It's, it's been about 14 years since we talked about this. Let's do something. And she's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, no, I didn't, I didn't think I was. I'm, I like motorcycles. She's like, we have two kids. We have two children. And she's had this time, right? And circumstances in our life have changed. We now have two children to provide for, not only uh, with money and food and housing, but with our presence. And her fear is, and probably rightly so, that we may crash and get injured or be, be uh, injured in a way we can't provide or maybe die, right? And we, we ought to rethink and change our mind because our circumstances have now changed. <clears throat> now, for you and I uh, today, as we look at this message in Matthew 21, uh, what we're looking at, I think there's, there's two typical hearts that are present on a Sunday morning and, and really any time that we're with people is, is a heart that has believed in Jesus, a heart that has trusted in faith in Christ, that he is, he is their treasure, and, and, and that he, is, he has changed them and forgiven them and wiped them clean and, and redeemed them. And in that, he's now in the process of, of helping us obey him more fully. And then there's those hearts that have, have come that aren't and haven't done that. They haven't trusted in faith in Christ to forgive and redeem and to, for, and to wipe them, themselves clean. Because uh, both of us in those scenarios both have a hard time, too, at second chances. But we have an opportunity for second chances. If you're the believer here today, the person who has faith in Christ... You have a second chance to really think through conforming into the image of the Son and say, you know what, there are some things I've been holding back for G from Jesus. There are some, some areas of obedience I've been holding, holding back from him. I know he, he wants me to, to do it. I, he's, he said it. He told me 15 minutes ago, you know, in 15 minutes, get ready. And I've just kind of been balking at that. But God's ready. He's, he wants to give you a second chance to obey, to rethink, to change your mind. Because God's in the business of giving us those opportunities. Now, for you who haven't believed and haven't trusted in Christ, you're here today for a reason, and I, I honestly think that reason is to know Jesus. And maybe throughout your whole life and throughout this time period that, that he's given you and circumstances of life that he's given you, uh, you have continued to reject Christ and push him away. Say, no, it's not. I, I know better. I, I, this is silly. I'll, I'll go to support somebody else. I'll go there because it kind of is nice, nice people there. But I'm not going to actually believe. And what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is going to say to you is, I'm giving you time. I'm giving you an opportunity for a second chance to rethink what you thought before and to, to embrace me. And he wants you to know he's ready for you to embrace him. So today as we look at this message, I, I hope that all of us can understand 
we have this opportunity for a second chance. We have this opportunity given to us by God to rethink and change our heart, right? Change our mind about something. So let's go into Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 23. When he, that is Jesus, entered the temple complex, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Now let me stop there for a minute. These guys are wanting to trap Jesus. They're wanting for him to say, I am doing this by the authority of the Father in heaven. The authority that I've been given is is from him because I am God in the flesh. They want him to say that. They want him to say he's the Messiah. They want him to to say that so they can trap him and say, okay, yeah, you, you're wrong, you're, you're going, we're going to kill you, we're going to put you to death. And, and he, now listen, one day he does do that, but he's not quite there yet. He's not quite there yet. So they want to trap him. But what he does and what he's so efficient at doing, and sometimes we do, we, we kind of put Jesus in a box and say, oh yeah, you, why don't you answer this, and, and you're, you can't answer this correctly. And what Jesus does is he kind of retweaks the question and asks us a question. Does he, so let's continue on. Jesus answered, answered them, I will also ask you one question, and if you answer it for me, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Where did John's baptism come from? From heaven or from men? So he's talking about John the Baptist, right? The baptizer who came before him and paved the way for Jesus, saying that here comes the Messiah, the one who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God. They began to argue among themselves. Of course they did, right? If we say from heaven... He'll say to us, then, why don't you believe in him, right? Why don't you believe in Jesus? But if we say from men, we're afraid of the crowd because everyone thought John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think, Jesus said? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to. Yet later, he changed his mind and went. Then the man who went to the other, or the man went to the other son and said the same thing. I will, sir, he said. But he didn't go. Which of these two did his father's will? The first, they said. And Jesus said to them, I assure you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him but you when you saw it didn't even change your minds and believe in him let's break this apart a little bit i think there's we're gonna look through this whole passage originally i wanted to just give the parable of the two sons but certainly this whole text is is together uh, combining together and and we're gonna we're gonna kind of break it apart this morning and see exactly what does it mean for you and i if we're pursuing a second chance? What does it mean for you and I uh, to pursue a second chance? Number one is this. If we want to pursue a second chance, we need to question our authority, right? Question your authority. And when I say that, it, it's you and, you and I. We have this authority that we've raised up in ourselves saying, I, I know, or I've got it figured out. I've had, I have the answers. This is the way it's going to be in my life. This is what I believe. And that's probably based on some, some info, and that's probably based on some circumstances and some feelings and a lot of emotion probably. Maybe some, someone burned you in some way and you don't want ha- to feel that or experience that again. So, so we've developed feelings and emotions based on those life experiences. But we have to learn to question our own authority because we should not be left to be the final authority of our lives. 
when there's a creator God who created you in his image for his glory, he obviously has more to think about our lives than we do. Look at the, verse, the, the first few verses there, 23 to 25. When he entered the temple complex, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him and he, as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? So they're questioning authority, his authority. Who gave you this authority? Jesus answered, I will ask you one question if you answer it for me. Then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So I will tell you who the authority is if you really want to question it. Where did John's baptism come from? From heaven or from men? So he turns that question around and says, what's your authority? What do you, what do you believe is the final authority? Because John has come in, in truth to, to proclaim that I'm the Messiah. And that truth came from the Father and that, that authority is from the Father. So you ought to believe that there's an authority. So really, what, the question is, what do you believe here? Where is your heart set? What, what are you placing your trust in? Who is your final authority? And that authority is, is what exercises control over our lives and beliefs and our welfare. You have to question what you believe. You know, I've, I've asked this question before, uh, maybe not for a while, but... I, I use this question in conversations with, with people that may not, they may be skeptics or maybe unbelievers. And I want to ask it of you as well. If what you believed weren't true, would you want to know? Because I think, I believe that's what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees. He's saying, you're questioning me, but, but do you really want to know if what you believe is wrong? And they didn't, right? We know the Pharisees did not. They they were in a place that they wanted to be, and they were going to believe what they wanted to believe. And you and I get there too. We get resistant to truth, resistant to authority. We want to be our own authority in our lives. Questioning your own authority opens up your heart, though, to search for spiritual truth. It says, I, I want to know, I want to long for truth. And, and for you and I to understand that there's a God who created us in His image that is far superior to us and to anything else in this world. His glory is, is phenomenally huge. And that, that His ways are higher than your ways and His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. For us to have a God like that means that you and I can't have final authority. Because if we have final authority, guess who has become God? You have and I have. We can't have final authority. We have to say, you know what? Who, he has authority. Someone else has authority. Let me open my heart to search for spiritual truth. But if we search for spiritual truth from a heart of unbelief, from a heart that's resistant to any authority, we are then predisposed to reject that truth. Have you ever had an argument with someone that's so, so rooted in their way that they don't really want to have any information? I mean, all the time, right? Politics, it could be politics. It could be religion. It could be the type of car to buy, right? If they're so rooted in just their, the way of thinking, that they are not going to change their mind. Why have a discussion with them? Because a discussion should be that open exchange of thought and idea that our heart is wanting information. I, see, there's a difference between really wanting to search for truth, really wanting to know truth and believe truth, and really just saying, I'll talk about it, but I already know what I believe and I'm not going to change my mind. If you're resistant to someone else's authority or truth on a matter, you will be always predisposed to reject any other truth. Turn, turn with me, keep your finger here, but turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Matthew and then Mark, Luke, and John, right? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 6. 
We'll start in verse 46. This gives us a picture of, of us who believe and would trust in the authority of God and, and say, you know what, he's going to be our final authority versus someone who would not. And, and I want you to understand, if, if you are claim to be a follower of Christ, if you say, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then there should be some, something about your life that lines up with what he says, amen? That our lives should, should match that. And if they don't match that, that means either you're, you're embracing yourself as your own authority and doing whatever you want, Right? Or you really don't believe, and again, you're embracing yourself as your own authority and doing whatever you want. But let's, let's look at your life and how, how shaky or unshaky it is. Beginning there in, in chapter 6 and verse, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? I, you know, as a father, I, I really understand this, and I think as a parent, a parent should. You know, you, you come lovey-dovey to me and say, Daddy, or man, Dad, I love you, and you want to snuggle then you don't even respect me in any way and want to, want to do anything I say. There's a, there's a breakdown there in actually, the actual affection. There's a fake affection and there's a real affection, right? A real affection says, I, want, I just want to love and respect you. I'm going, to, I'm going to do my best to honor you in what you say. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? He says, I will show you, someone, uh, show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundations on the rock. When the flood came and the rivers crashed against that house it, and, couldn't shake, uh, and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act uh, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. Listen, there are floods coming in life. There are rivers going to rage against us. There are circumstances that are going to come that are going to shake you to the core. What Jesus is saying is, I, I'm God. I'm this authority and I am this rest for your soul. And if you would do it my way, you would be unshakable. Sure, we, we would still feel a little shake, right? We, but we know that we're rooted. We know that we're grounded on a foundation that is in Christ. Our lives are to be built on the foundation of Christ. It's solid ground, right? It's solid ground. And, and His ways or His building code, right? His word, his building code for us. That, that he's, he's the master architect. He's the master code maker. He, we know that he has the, the ideas and, and not the ideas. He has the specifics of how this life should be run. His building codes are the authority. And we should follow those. And if we don't follow those, we're liable to have a house that is destroyed or a house that is built on sinking and shifting sand. So then we come to that place, okay, I've questioned my authority, okay, God, fine, I'll, I'll submit. And, and it's one of those begrudging ways, right? We all do this at times. Okay, okay, fine, you're the boss, Jesus, I'll do what you say. But we, we who have treasured Christ have to understand the why behind that. Why? Why are we going to submit? Why are we going to follow Jesus? Why are we going to believe what he says? Why are we going to allow him to be our authority? Well, it's because of what he's done and what he's accomplished. And he's not one of many on a long resume of people who have accomplished. He is the only one that has. I want to read you out of Acts chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. I want to, I want to show you this, this authority that is, that is something that, that builds up and, and gives you passion and gives you a, a solid strength because of what Christ has accomplished. Peter and John had been uh, detained by some religious leaders because they had helped heal a crippled man in the name of Jesus. 
And in, in chapter 4 of Acts, verse 7, it starts like this. It says, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they, question, they asked the question, by what power and in what name have you done this? Seemed like a similar question? Like, what authority, where does this come from? I'm wanting to trap them there, right? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers and the, and the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by, uh, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Na- the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. What authority have you done this? And, and they wanted them to say, Oh, uh, you know, we, we, just, we just love this guy. He was having a bad day. And, and they, want, they want him to be quiet about Jesus. Stop bringing up some other authority besides me. Right? And that happens all the time for us internally. But, but let's see why, right? <clears throat> we, we said, was, the why part was, let it be known that it was the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, and then what? God raised from the dead by his authority, by the one who was raised from the dead. And then it says in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected and has become the cornerstone. In verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, talking about Jesus Christ, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You see, the authority is one thing, but the salvation and the security offered and the hope offered in Jesus Christ is another Yes, He is a firm foundation. If we build our lives on Him and on the way He wants us to do things, we will, we will benefit from that. But it's not a begrudging way to say, you know what, fine, you're the authority, I'll just do what you say. He wants us to treasure Him as that final authority, as that stone that isn't rejected, as the one who actually defeated sin and death in our place, that we could have victory. Others, even you and I, may be predisposed to reject truth, predisposed to reject authority, or predisposed to reject Jesus. But those who have questioned their own authority, have really said, I'm going to question my own authority, and and I'm I'm going to open my heart. Those who have done that have found their fill in the one who has defeated Satan, sin, and death once and for all. Not just found a way to follow, a way to obey, but have found their fill. He is the authority. And if you need a second chance, now is the time to embrace Jesus. Embrace who he is and what he's accomplished for you and let that run and rule your life instead of you. If you want a second chance, you have to question your authority. Number two, if you want a second chance, don't preserve your pride. Don't try to preserve your pride, like, like protect it and say, oh, no, this is still intact. Let's continue on in our text in Matthew 21, looking at verses 24 through 27. We've read some of this already. Jesus answered, I will ask you one question. If you answer it for me, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Where did John's baptism come from? Where, or from heaven or from men? Then they began to argue among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why didn't you believe him? If we say from men, then we're afraid of the crowd because everyone thought John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Preserving our pride comes from that predisposed need to reject truth and to reject correction. 
These guys didn't really want to know for themselves the answer. They wanted Jesus to say it so they could crucify him. And see, that's pride that's getting in the way. There's no desire for someone else's authority. There's no desire to know what the truth really is. The desire is for me to be built up and my ego to be built up. These teachers of the people didn't care about truth. They only cared about preserving their status and their ego and their pride. Jesus says in John 5, 44, he says, how can you believe? He's talking to these Pharisees, talking to these religious leaders, these teachers. How can you believe? While accepting glory from one another, you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. See, they were seeking glory from one another. They were seeking esteem and and, and they were seeking status. Jesus says that's not how this will be found. That's why Jesus, by the way, is uncomfortable. That's why coming to Jesus is uncomfortable because he seeks to be Lord of our life. The boss, the ruler, the one that's in charge, the one that has final authority and final say. He seeks to be the one that directs you and I for his glory. Not just because he wants to boss everybody around, but he wants people to know how firm of a foundation he is and that as we live our lives in a way that obeys and, and leans on Jesus and trusts in Jesus, that unshakable foundation is seen by a world that needs hope. And the glory of God is seen and people are drawn to Jesus. So if we're rejecting him, the proud must be humbled. We must be humbled. That's only when we can come to him in weakness and emptiness. Letting him be the treasure that we seek. Letting him be the guide that we need. Letting him be the rock, the solid foundation that we cherish. We can't preserve our pride. Number three, we have to be honest. We have to be honest. Look at the scripture in Matthew 21, starting in verse 28. Jesus says, but what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to. Sounds like a kid, right? I, Dad, I don't want to. Yet later he changed his mind and went. Then the man went to the other and said the same thing. Sir, I, I will, he answered, but he didn't go. Which of the two did the father's will? The first, they said. And Jesus said, I assure you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. It's interesting here. This is about belief in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, not about working in the vineyard. It's about believing what the Father has said and sent, and that if you would believe, you would be safe and secure. And he offers these two sons, and he's offering all of us this opportunity. He says, go work in the vineyard. Go be believe in the Messiah. The first one was very honest, right? We, we compare and contrast. I, I like that honesty. God likes honesty. By the way, God can handle your honesty. Okay, God can handle your anger even, your, 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 your brutal honesty with him. He doesn't want you to, to lie because you're not lying to him. He, he's not, he knows the truth, and so do you. So we need to be honest. And the first one said, I, I don't want to go, Dad. I don't want to go work there today. That's not what I want to do. Then later, given time, what did he do? He changed his mind. He had a change of heart. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go. 
in the text, that, that word uh, that he changed his mind or changed his heart, the, the word is actually repent. It's the same word as repent. That he was going one direction and he turned around 180 degrees and went the opposite way. So he had it in mind to go away from his father and away from his father's will, away from believing his father. And given that time, something worked in his heart and stirred in his heart. And he had a change of heart and he turned around and started walking back towards the will of the Father. And see, that's what the Father gives us too, but we have to be honest. We can't just say, oh yeah, yeah, I will, I will. I, I'll go. And we don't. And oh, I'll go, I'll go. But we don't. We're, we're, we're fooling ourselves about the intention of our heart, aren't we? See, the first brother knew, I just don't want to go. I don't want to do that. And maybe you're like that. Maybe I don't want to obey. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I'm glad you're honest. I'm glad God, you're being honest with God. That's a, that's a great place to be in for a second chance. Because if, if you went to God and said, oh yes, God, I want to do what you want to do, and then you left and you did whatever you wanted, and then you kind of got called on it, you came back and said, okay, yes, God, I want to do what you want to do, this relationship will go on forever. What has to happen is you have to say it and face up to it and say, I didn't want to do that. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to, I want my own way, God. I want what I want. And then given time, as God stirs in an honest heart, we'll come to our senses and say, you know, man, I really do need to follow God. I really do need to obey. I really do need to, to believe in Him. And maybe you've been rejecting Christ for a long time. I don't want to believe in you. I don't want to trust you. You, you killed my dad. You took my family from me. You took my spouse from me. You took my land or my property or my, my money from me. You took my job from me. God, you've taken everything from me. You, I, I, can't, I can't believe in you. I can't trust you. It's a good place to start, being honest with God. And as you're honest with God, you can start being honest with yourself. God didn't cause that. God's right there waiting to wrap you up in his arms. He's right there waiting, to, waiting for you to believe, to trust in him, to embrace who he is as a savior, as a redeemer, as the one who can give you joy and hope beyond any circumstances or beyond what life could take away from you. What, we can, what we, we can add to our lives in Christ makes the other things look small in comparison. And we're filled with hope. There's this coming to our senses that has to happen. We saw this in the, uh, so we see the, the first brother said, I don't want to, and he changed his mind. The other one said, I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. But he didn't do it. He didn't follow through. It's like the Pharisees who who had John the baptizer saying, this is Jesus coming, he's coming, he's the Messiah, you got to repent and believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we believe, we believe, we believe. No, they didn't. They didn't believe. And that's why in Luke 15 we see this, this pro, uh, parable of the prodigal son and, and the coins and the lost sheep. And we see Jesus saying, we, God, heaven celebrates over one sinner who repents more than 99 who, what, don't need repentance, need no repentance. And what he's saying is those, those brothers that need no repentance, that's like the people who, I, I believe, I believe, but don't do what they really say. They aren't redeemed. They aren't righteous. They don't really need no repentance, but they think they do. But Jesus longs for that one who, who gets honest and says, I, I, I need something different. And we see that in Luke 15. I'm going to read a passage to you there out of Luke 15, 16 to 20. This is the prodigal son, right, or the, the wasteful brother. He longed, he, 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 had, he had come to his father, right, and was very honest. I wish you were dead, Dad. Give me, give me my inheritance now before you die. I want my inheritance. Sell off that land, sell off this, this house, sell off these things, and give me what you owe me. The father did it. 
And then he went out and wasted it. And he understood in this honesty, this brutal honesty, just how far from the father he had gotten. He says in verse 16, he longed to eat his fill from the carob pods, the pigs were eating. He had gotten so desperate. He wanted to eat the pig's food. But no one would give him any. In verse 17, when he came to his senses, when it finally clicked in his heart, when, when it was stirred in his heart, that honesty that he really needed the Father, he really needed to, to fall into the Father's arms, he really needed to obey the Father, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's just hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up. I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So in his honesty, in that place of, of brutal realization that he was not his own God, it says he got up and went to his father. You see, it's, it's when we become honest with God and with ourselves that God can, can tenderize the stubbornness of our heart. When he, can, when he can exchange that heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in us. When he can help change our mind and help us come to our senses so that we would, have been, having been walked in one direction, we can come to our senses and turn and get up and go to our father who is ready. And that story goes on. Who The father received him so warmly. I'd encourage you to read that later. Thank God there is a way out of despair, if we're honest. Thank God there's a way out of hopelessness, if we're honest. Thank God there is a way. You know, we, we talk about this, and I've said this before. People get all up in arms about Jesus being the only way to God. And, and if we really look around and, and are honest at the despair in our own heart, we should be so thankful that there is a way. That there is a way out of this hopelessness. If we would be honest and change our heart, change our mind, if we would believe in Him, He'd embrace us like the good Father that He is. Finally, number four. If we want a second chance, believe in Him. Believe in Him. If you have that second chance and it's there, then do something with it. Believe or trust in what he has said. The last part of our, our story there is verse 30, 32. He had said before, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. And then it says, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. You didn't believe him. And they will continue to not believe. And as he says, tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds and believe in him. God is giving an opportunity after opportunity to see him face to face, to see him as the God and the Redeemer and the, and the guy, God who loves you. He's giving you those opportunities and, and opportunities for us to change our heart and our mind, a second chance for us to embrace who he is and believe in who he is. You see, there should be a sorrow. When, when John presented this righteousness, there was a sorrow over sin. There was a grief over, over the desperate wickedness in, in men and women's hearts. 
And they saw a way out through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. So we have sorrow over our sin, and then in that sorrow, there's a humility that leaves us bare before him. And that will lead us to believe and trust that he is good. When we see him in that state of humility, when we see see him in that state of emptiness, he longs to pick us up, to wrap us up, and to fill us up like only he can. He is a loving father who wants us to believe in him. The last passage I want to read today is John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You see, it's not narrow-minded, oh, you're so judgmental, you're so condemning to me. No, he's offering you the opportunity to be saved. He's offering you the opportunity to be whole again and to be redeemed and fixed and clean. He's offering you that opportunity, and he's offering me that opportunity because he's a loving God. And he goes on, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. See, we already stand condemned. We don't need Jesus to show up and tell us that we're bad and that our hearts are wicked and deceitful and, and that we don't have it all together. We don't need Jesus to come down and just keep telling us that. We know that. So what did he do? He came to save. The world might be saved through him. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only Son of God. That's Jesus. God gives us a second chance and sometimes a third chance and a fourth chance because we're stubborn. But one day those chances will run out. Your life and the circumstances around your life, it may... It may come up with some major destruction with the choices that you, you've made. Major broken relationships. Maybe you spend your money unwisely and you have nothing to show for that anymore. You have nothing to give anymore. Destruction comes. Despair comes because of our choices. But God wants to be that firm foundation that we can rest in, that we can obey, that we can believe in Him and trust in Him Because when we build our lives on his foundation, he will not fail us, and he will not disappoint. Amen? Would you stand with me and pray? Father, we are are in awe of your grace, in awe of the love you have shown through Jesus Christ. And God, we... We ask that you would humble our hearts. Help us to to challenge our own authority over our lives so that you might be the authority and the truth over our lives. We ask that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that you you would be God. Help us not to put you back in a box and pretend that we are. God, we want to to trust you and believe you. We're grateful for the second chances or the third chances, the fourth chances you give us. But God, those chances will be running out at some point. God, help us today to lay down our pride and our ego, to to not work so hard and fight so hard to preserve it. Help us grieve and and have sorrow over our sin that we would come before you in a humble state, knowing that only you can fill us up. Only you can be our treasure that never disappoints. 
God, we want to obey. We want to follow you. We want to build our lives and our hope on a firm foundation. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service in worship, we, we have an opportunity to respond to God and what he's saying to our heart. Now listen, I know that God stirs in the hearts of all of us. And, and whatever God's doing right now, I, I, would, I would ask and, and urge you to respond. Respond in prayer if that's what you need to do. Get, get right with God. Yield yourself. Say, God, you've given me the second chance right now. I am going to take it. I'm done disobeying. I'm, I'm done, I'm done wa- walking my own way. I'm going to walk with you and, and do it. Maybe you need to go to a Bible study class after service and, and get in with some people who are, who are trying to do the same thing. Maybe you need prayer for something. I'd love to pray with you. I'll be standing down in front as we worship. Maybe you just need to worship out to God and, and cry out to him, thanking him so much that you, he gave you a second chance. Maybe it was a long time ago. He gave you that second chance, and you embraced him with your whole heart. You embraced him and have loved him ever since, and, and he's just been guiding you and directing you and, and blessing you and giving you hope and joy all, all the time. Worship him in that. Let him know how much he means to you. Let's respond. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood's atoning Then I repented of my sins And won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bobbed me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bobbed me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flows to the course again oh victory in jesus my savior forever he sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood he loved me ere i knew him and all my love is due him he plunged me to victory Beneath the cleansing flood. Give me a second chance and a third and a fourth for victory in Jesus. And I, I, I pray that you would believe and hope and trust in him every step of the way. Isn't he good? He's so good. Um, Dane, would you close us in prayer?
Lord, we just thank you so much for, for your mercy and your grace, Lord, and for your, your plan of salvation, Lord God, and that, uh, that we do get seconds and thirds and fourth chances, Lord. And uh, I thank you for that for sure. Just uh, be with us as we go today, Lord. Help us to be a blessing to someone. And uh, we thank you so much. And we pray and ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.